السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, for the past few weeks we have been discussing the upcoming month of Ramadan. I've commented on a few verses of Surah Al-Baqarah which mark the beginning of a discussion of fasting and the month of Ramadan in the Qur'an. Some of the commentary I provided is a very summary one, superficial one. One could go into great detail for every part of the verse, but I've refrained from doing that. But moving on from the verses, just as a reminder, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, O believers, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was, ordained for, for those who came before you. Perhaps you may attain taqwa. Then Allah speaks about some of the laws of fasting. And then in the third verse, Allah Azza wa Jal says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنْزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ That month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ As a guidance for mankind. وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ And as clear proofs of guidance and of distinction. فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَصُمْ So whoever of you finds the month, then let him fast it. And then again, Allah mentions some of the laws of fasting, finally saying, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ وَلِتُكْمِلُوا الْعِدَّةَ وَلِتُكَبِّرُوا اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ That Allah wishes ease for you, Allah does not wish difficulty for you. And I more or less stopped here. And the end of the verse is, And so that you may complete the count, i.e. the count of 29 or 30 days of fasting for the whole month. And so that you may glorify Allah and praise Him over the fact that he has guided you. 
And perhaps you may be grateful. I've already said a lot about these verses. I've spoken about the obligation of fasting, the wisdom of fasting, that it creates taqwa. I've just touched upon some of the laws in relation to travelling and people who are ill. Again, not in much detail, but just as a commentary of the verse, that Allah has granted this concession. I also spoke about the Qur'an and its relationship with Ramadan, and that the obligation of fasting in the month of Ramadan is actually contained in this particular verse. And finally, that Allah wishes ease for us, Allah does not wish difficulty for us, one should take advantage of these concessions if there is a need and that the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the teachings of his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are to create ease and comfort and to provide a benefit for the believers even though we may not see some of them in that way. It's because Unfortunately, if we've been conditioned in a certain way for the great part of our lives, then just like an ill person, if you give an ill person medicine, they will be very averse to taking that medicine. And in fact, if someone's palate is distorted, if someone's taste buds are distorted, even the sweetest of honey will taste bitter. So, a lot of it is to do with the condition of the recipient, of the patient. No matter how tasty food may be, delicious, we experience for ourselves that if we are slightly ill, then our whole system is disrupted. Even good food tastes bland. We lose our ability to taste, to discern good from bad. So imagine if our soul is sick and corrupt. We will see falsehood where there is truth and truth where there is falsehood. And Allah mentions that in the verse of the Quran that those that I will turn away from my signs those who are arrogant upon the earth without just cause. So much so that even if they see every sign they will not believe. And then Allah says, and this is what concerns us, And if they see the path of righteousness and guidance, they will not take it as a path. And if they see, And if they see the path of waywardness and deviation, They will take it as a path. Because the mind is flipped. One sick condition and corrupt character, and distorted and warped thinking and mentality, twists everything. 
And such a person will not see good where there is good. So, the, the teachings of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are designed to create comfort. But initially, just like any patient, good medicine will taste bitter and the patient will be averse to taking that medicine. But he or she really has no choice. And just like children, when a child is sick and parents actually force the medicine down their throats into their mouths, sometimes cajoling them, sometimes fooling and deceiving them, and at times even forcibly administering, administering the medicine. Because a child is unable to understand. So in many ways, because of our very primitive understanding of spirituality, of deen, of Allah, of His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are like children. We just cannot fathom, just cannot comprehend, just cannot understand the wisdoms of the teachings of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like the man who came to Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam and he said, my brother has a bad stomach. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Isqil Asal, give him honey to drink. So he went and gave him honey. He came back and said, Ya Rasulullah, it's only made it worse. So he said to him, Isqil Asal, give him honey to drink. So the man went back and gave the brother, his own brother, honey to drink again a second time. He only made things worse. Because then he came back. Rasulullah said to him again, Isqihil Asal, Sadaqallah wa kadhaba batma akhik. Give him honey to drink. Allah has spoken the truth, and your brother's stomach has lied. Do not seek to blame the cure. Blame your condition. We fail to take responsibility for our own deeds, for our own actions, for our own condition. This is part of humility. Part of arrogance is that I am perfect. And as part of that perfection, I am unable to take any criticism because it's invalid. But such a display of arrogance actually reflects a very fragile personality, a very fragile ego. (coughs) Part of this thinking is that I am... Such a person thinks about themselves... That if I really look at myself, if I really try to understand myself, then I am terrible. And I hate myself. And I am absolutely nothing. And therefore I have to create a false ego. I have to create a false image by which I identify myself and which I have to present to the world. And that image 
must always be polished and perfect and beautiful. There can be no chink in the armour, no flaw, no defects, no scratch. And if there is a single scratch in that image, if there's a single slightest dent in that image, then that means even the slightest flaw, then the whole image is worthless. I am worthless. And people will see how worthless I am. And therefore, because we are unable to look at ourselves in our own mirror, we create this false image. And this is all the work of the nafs. And we like to keep that image for ourselves. We like to present that image to the world. And that prevents us from accepting any criticism. Because any criticism, any acceptance of fault, any appropriation of blame, any apportioning of blame to ourselves means that chink in the armour, the dent in that image, the slightest scratch, which makes us worthless in our eyes. So we see ourselves as being perfect. And we never accept criticism, we never accept responsibility. But someone who is of a balanced nature realises that I am not perfect. I am not absolutely worthless either. I'm neither an animal nor am I an angel. But I'm a mixture of good and bad. Harun al-Rashid Someone spoke harshly to him in the Haram, in Mecca al-Mukarramah, whilst he was performing Tawaf. And he was the Abbas of the Khalifa at the time, the Khalifa of the whole Muslim realm. So someone spoke harshly to him. So Harun al-Rashid, he was, a, he was an emperor who associated with the ulama. And he was pious in his own way. One can't answer for every single one of his deeds, but as a general person, associating with the ulama, he was certainly in comparison to other monarchs and rulers, he was a pious individual. So someone spoke harshly to him, and in fact one could see how just he was, that a random person could approach him in the haram and scold him publicly. But Harun al-Rashid's reply to him was, Allah sent Musa and Harun to Pharaoh and instructed them thus, فَقُولَا لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرَ أَوْ يَخْشَى That both of you say a soft word to him in the hope that he may take heed or fear Allah. So this is Allah told the prophets Musa and Harun to go to Pharaoh and address him softly. So what need was there for you to scold me publicly like this and speak to me so harshly? For you are no better than Musa and Harun and I am no worse than Pharaoh. So a balanced view of oneself that I may not be an animal. I may not be an angel, but I'm also not completely worthless as an animal. I have good and bad in me. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu an would say that, Rahimallahu mara'an, ahda ilayya ayubi. May Allah have mercy on a man who gives me a gift 
of my own errors. So he would be grateful if somebody pointed out a flaw, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu would be grateful. And look how humble he was, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. Where it required, he displayed immense strength and courage and resolve and determination. But where it required, he was humble. And that's exactly how Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam was. Humble way it required, softness way it required, way it was required, but also firmness and resolve and determination and resoluteness where they were required. So, one should have a balanced view of oneself, and that balanced view enables one to accept one's mistakes, one's errors. And only that will allow a person to reform themselves. Why am I saying all of this? Is because, as I said earlier, it's part of our nature, well, it's part of our illness, unfortunately, that we do not accept blame. We're always blaming something or someone else. So much so that we even blame the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the teachings of Allah and his messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Rather than change ourselves, we seek to change the irrefutable, indisputable, established commands of Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I mentioned all of this because of what I said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to the brother, give him honey to drink. Sadaqallah wa kathab batma akhik. Allah has spoken the truth and your brother's stomach has lied. So Allah's teachings and those of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are designed to create ease and comfort and are actually in our welfare. Just as Allah says of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, الَّذِينَ يَتَّبِعُونَ الرَّسُولَ النَّبِيَّ الْأُمِّيَّ الَّذِي يَجِدُونَهُ مَكْتُوبًا عِنْدَهُمْ فِي التَّوْرَاءِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَاهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَيُحِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ وَيَضَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِهِ وَعَزَّرُوهُ وَنَصَرُوهُ very beautiful verse which describes the Prophet ﷺ and his noble companions and his followers. But part of the verse says that speaking of the Messenger ﷺ, what does he do? He enjoins a good thought to them, forbids them from evil. So what he instructs them is good, ma'roof. And what he prevents them from is distasteful, munkar. وَيُحِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ And he makes lawful for them the pure things. وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ And he makes unlawful and forbidden to them the impure things. وَيَضَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ And he removes from them their weight and burden. وَلَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ And those shackles which bound them. So this is a very good summary of the sunnah and the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who represented Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That what he told his followers to do is ma'roof, good. What he forbade them from is munkar, distasteful, harmful, bad. What he made lawful for them are the pure things. What he made unlawful for them are the khabitha, khabaith, 
meaning the impure things. And his teachings and his sunnah are such that they, rather than shackling people and fettering them and burdening them and chaining them and restricting them, in reality they liberate them. They remove the burden from them. They unfetter them. They release them from the burdens and the shackles that bore down heavily on them. And that's the testimony of the Qur'an. So when Allah says, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرِ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرِ Allah wishes ease for you, Allah does not wish difficulty for you. This is a reflection of the teachings of Allah, His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Unfortunately, if we can't see that, then we really need to question ourselves. Finally, Allah says, وَلِتُكْمِلُ الْعِدَّةِ And so that you may complete the count. وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَذَاكُمْ Meaning the count of 29 or 30 days. And so that you may glorify Allah over the fact that he has guided you. وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ And in the hope that you may be grateful. This final part of the verse is actually a reference to Eid. So, very quick summary that the fasting of Ramadan, and then, so that you may complete the count of 29 or 30 days, وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهِ So that you may glorify Allah. Part of the sunnah of Eid is takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest. There is no God except Allah. Allah is the greatest. Allah is the greatest, and to Allah belongs all praise. The takbir, which is part of the rituals of Eid, according to some ulama, begins after Maghrib Salah, with the advent of Shawwal. As soon as Ramadan ends, and Shawwal begins, one should begin reciting takbir according to many ulama. According to others, after Fajr Salah the next day. In either case, this is one of the hallmarks of Eid, and we remember this from our childhood. And throughout our lives we have witnessed this. That even on the day of festivity, on the day of celebration, when fasting is haram, we do not begin on the day when we have been told to eat and to drink and to feast and to make merry and to enjoy ourselves and to be happy and joyful, to share greetings, to exchange gifts. On the day when we are forbidden to fast, we have been commanded by the Messenger of Allah to wear the best of our clothes, new or the best. Even on that day, we do not begin any festivity or celebration Without the takbir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without hymning his praise, glorifying his name, pronouncing the takbir, bowing, prostrating in congregation together, and listening to the sermon in which we are constantly reminded of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and their teachings, and even of the hereafter. Only when all of this is complete do we then go out and enjoy it. That's one, and that's the case with everything. We don't, we don't have our Eid without the praise of Allah. We do not enter the world without the name of Allah. We do not leave the world without the name of Allah. We do not get married without the name of Allah. 
Allah's name we take in everything. So here as well, Allah. this is actually a reference to the takbir of Eid. And why should we glorify Allah? Allah says here, عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ That any good that you have done in Ramadan, anything that you may have achieved. In fact, not just the hidayah to fast in Ramadan, but the hidayah of iman as well. You should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. Glorify Allah for having guided you. In the hope that you may be grateful. I'll end with the commentary of the verses here. Because the remaining verses actually still continue to speak about Ramadan and about dua. But some of them contain laws and we will suffice with this. But before we... and Having concluded with these few verses, let's move on to a few hadith about Ramadan. Some of these hadith are very famous and well-known. Prophet ﷺ said a lot about the month of Ramadan. Some of the more famous, authentic hadith, Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others. إِذَا جَاءَ رَمَضَانَ فُتِّحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ وَغُلِّقَتْ أَبْوَابُ النَّارِ وَصُفِّدَتِ الشَّيَاطِينَ كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم When Ramadan arrives, the doors of Jannah are flung open and the doors of Jahannam are slammed shut and the shayateen are shut. They are chained. And in one narration of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم says, فُتِّحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الرَّحْمَةِ When Ramadan arrives, the doors of mercy are thrown open. As I mentioned before, Ramadan is a quarantine. It's a special time. Allah opens the doors of mercy, the doors of Jannah, shuts the doors of Jahannam. We are put in a special environment, a special sanitized time and environment in order to achieve certain things. If that Ramadan is proper, and the next Ramadan is proper, then according to a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, that from one Ramadan to the other, all the sins in between are forgiven. So one Ramadan to the next, two Ramadans are penance, for the sins in between. Again, speaking of forgiveness, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَنْ صَامَ رَمَضَانَ إِيمَانًا وَاحْتِسَابًا غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمْ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ Whoever fasts in the month of Ramadan, with belief, with faith, and with a hope and anticipation of reward, all of his past sins will be forgiven. And again, whoever stands i.e. in vigil and in prayer at night, in Ramadan, مَنْ قَامَ رَمَضَانَ إِيمَانًا وَاحْتِسَابًا غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمْ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ Whoever keeps vigil at... Qiyam, although it means to stand, what it denotes here is remaining awake, spending the night in the worship of Allah, or even a portion of the night. So, whoever does Qiyam, i.e. stands before Allah, in Ramadan, or does Qiyam, i.e. remaining awake, engaged in the worship of Allah, in the month of Ramadan, 
with faith and in anticipation of reward and hope of reward, again, all of his past sins shall be forgiven. And the same is said about Laylatul Qadr. Man qama Laylatul Qadr imana wa ihtisaba. All of these three hadith are authentic, narrated by most authors. That whoever does qiyam, i.e. keeps a vigil in the night of qadr, in faith and in anticipation of reward, all of his past sins shall be forgiven. There's one very famous long hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, in which from Abu Hurairah, in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says about fasting. It's actually a Qudsi hadith, meaning Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam narrates this from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, قَالَ اللَّهِ Allah said, كُلُّ عَمَلِ ابْنِ آدَمَ لَهُ إِلَّا الصِّيَامُ فَإِنَّهُ لِي وَأَنَا أَجْزِيبِهِ وَالصِّيَامُ جُنَّةِ وَإِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ صَوْمِ أَحَدِكُمْ فَلَا يَرْفُثْ وَلَا يَسْخَبْ فَإِنْ سَابَهُ أَحَدٌ أَوْ قَاتَلَهُ فَلْيَقُلْ إِنِّي مْرُؤٌ صَائِمٌ وَالَّذِي نَفْسُ مُحَمَّدٍ بِيَدِهِ لَخُلُوفُ فَمِ الصَّائِمِ أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِيحِ الْمِسْكِ لِصَائِمِ فَرْحَتَانِ يَفْرَحُهُمَا إِذَا أَفْطَرَ فَرِحَ بِفِطْرِهِ وَإِذَا لَقِيَ رَبَّهُ فَرِحَ بِصَوْمِهِ أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم. I'll spend a bit of time commenting on this hadith because it's quite detailed and it encompasses so much which gives us a good flavor of Ramadan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Allah said, كُلُّ عَمَلِ ابْنِ آدَمَ لَهُ إِلَّا الصِّيَامَ فَإِنَّهُ لِي وَأَنَا أَتْسِيبِهِ Every deed of man belongs to him, except fasting. For that is for me. Fasting is for me, and I shall reward it. What's the meaning of that part of the hadith? Let me translate the full hadith first. Prophet said, Allah said, every deed of man belongs to him. is for him, except fasting. For fasting is for me, and I shall reward it. And fasting is a shield. And if one of you is fasting on any particular day, then let him not be lewd or indecent. And let him not raise his voice and shout. And if someone abuses him or quarrels with him, then let him say, I am a fasting person. By that, by that Allah, in whose hands rests the soul of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Most certainly, the older emanating from the mouth of a fasting person is sweeter in the sight of Allah or sweeter by Allah than the fragrance of musk. For the fasting person there are two moments of joy. When he breaks his fast, he is joyful over the breaking of his fast. And when he shall meet his Lord, he shall be joyful over his fast. So that's the hadith. So the beginning part is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah said, every deed of man is for him except fasting. Fasting is for me. And I shall reward it. What does that mean? 
Fasting is a unique act of worship. And it has many implications. One of them is that just as it is a divine attribute that Allah does not eat or drink, and just as it is an angelic attribute that the angels do not eat or drink, man, for a certain amount of time, intentionally and consciously, not out of need or necessity, but intentionally and consciously shuns food and drink and other desires, all of which are the hallmarks of bestial life, animal life. And rising above that low state, consciously, thoughtfully and intentionally, man fasts and remains hungry and thirsty. In a way, coming close to that angelic attribute. And for a short period, reflecting the attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the divine attribute of not eating or drinking. Furthermore, insincerity is one of the great dangers that faces us in virtually every intention and every deed. And one needs to be very careful. But it's a bit more difficult and certainly quite worthless to be insincere in fasting. When it comes to prayer, if one has to show that I am praying, how long does it take? A couple of minutes? At home, if someone wants to just show another member of the family that I'm praying, when they have no intention of praying, all they do is pull out a sajjad or a musalla or a rug or a carpet and go through the motions of prayer. In the masjid, you enter the masjid, you pray. (coughs) And people pray, even in the masjid. I mentioned a humorous story once of... Allahu alam if this is true, but it was related that one imam in a village, this is in a rural area of the Indian subcontinent, he wanted to encourage people to come to salah. And people weren't coming to salah. So he thought of a method, well, some people came, but he wanted lots more to come, obviously. But he thought of a novel method. And we're talking about in the earlier times when there were no cars and uh, a man's prized possession was a buffalo. Bears. So, the imam made an announcement that whoever prays f- salah for 40 days in congregation, I shall get, with the first takbir, I shall give him the gift of buffalo. Bears. So one chap said, that's a good prize. So he started attending. And every tent he prayed all five salah in congregation with Jama'ah for the first ten days. Fifty salah. After the first ten days had lapsed, he came to the imam and he said, don't forget, 
quarter of the cow is mine now already. And then the 20th day said, half of the cow is mine. 30th day said, two, uh, three quarters of the cow is mine. And he goes, I'll be collecting on the 10th, on the 40th day. On the 40th day he came and he said, where's my cow? Where's my bears? So the imam had no intention of giving it anyway. So the imam said to him, look, yeah, the, you know, this is just something to be, that we say. Who's going to give you a buffalo for praying salah for 40 days? It was just my way of getting you to come to the masjid. So the villagers said to him, See, since your intention wasn't correct, that reflected on me. My intention wasn't correct either. I'd also like to inform you that I've prayed all 40 days salah, five times a day with jama'ah, but without wudu. <laughs> so, Wallahu alam, if it's true or not, but khayran. So it's, how long does it take to pray salah hypocritically? Even Allah mentions in the Quran that they do pray salah, the munafiqoon. وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا قُسَالَى يُرَاؤُونَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That when they rise to prayer, they rise indolently, lazily. Merely showing the people, and they do not remember Allah, except very little. In, in salah. So it's easy to be insincere when it comes to prayer. A few minutes here and there, a few minutes in the masjid, a few postures and movements. People can be insincere when they go to pilgrimage. It could be just an adventure going all the way to Makkah, Medina for sightseeing, just to see. That's why many people who shouldn't have been there in the first place have sneaked in, in Ihram. So it's, one can be insincere when it comes to Hajj, when it comes to Umrah, when it comes to Salah, even when it comes to Zakah. Some people have money. For them, Money is a currency to purchase influence and power and recognition. So they'll give in charity. And many people do. That's why Allah has warned in the Quran that charity should be sincere and one cannot use one's charity as leverage to gain and wield influence. And unfortunately, many of us think that once we have given someone or some uh, some one money or some establishment or institution or charity money then we hold a certain right over them so one has to be very sincere even when giving in charity so a person can be quite sincere in sadaqah in zakah in charity in salah even in hajj and umrah but there is one act of worship out of all of these, which is fasting, in which is, it is quite difficult to be insincere. Why? Why would a person, and how could a person, remain hungry all day and actually fast in an insincere manner? Of course, some people do it if they have to. But all you need is a few minutes, here and there, to have a quick bite and a quick sip of water or a quick drink. Some people do it. So, fasting is one unique act of worship amongst the others in which it is quite difficult to be insincere. One can be careless and negligent in one's fast. One can be sinful by not behaving properly 
through one's own errors and misdeeds. But to actually remain hungry and thirsty from morning till evening merely to show people, that is not easy. And that's why in another narration of the same hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that Allah said that fast, every deed of man is for him except fasting. For fasting is for me. He abandons his food and his drink for my sake. So Allah recognizes that. And therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I will reward him. One of the ulama, Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullahi alayhi, was a famous teacher of hadith. He died in 198 Hijri. He was questioned. He was a great Imam of Makkah al-Mukarramah in hadith. Sufyan ibn Uyayna. And he was questioned about this hadith. What's the meaning of Allah saying? That fasting is for me, and I shall reward it. So his explanation, being a great imam of hadith, his explanation was as follows. He says, on the day of reckoning, when accounts will be settled in the court of Allah, anyone who has wronged someone else, and this is actually mentioned in a hadith, and this is my explanation, that this is actually mentioned in a hadith of Sahih Muslim, that the Prophet wasallam asked the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, that who's the poor and destitute person? Who's the muflis? The penniless? So, the one who's burnt all his money, or the one who's got only pennies. That's the meaning of muflis, someone who's only got a flas, plural of filth. Filth means a few pennies, a few cents. So, who's the penniless person, or someone who's only got a few pennies? So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum said that the penniless, the poor, destitute person amongst us is someone who has no dirham and no possessions, no goods. So the Prophet wasallam said, the penniless person, the poor and destitute person of my ummah is one who shall come on the day of reckoning. And then he mentioned good deeds with prayer, charity, etc. He will come with all of these deeds, but he will have come in such a manner that in the world, he will have قَدْ شَتَمَ هَذَا وَقَذَفَ هَذَا وَأَكَلَ مَالَ هَذَا وَسَفَكَ دَمَ هَذَا That he will have come having verbally abused this person, having falsely accused this person, having unlawfully taken the wealth of this person, having shed the blood of that person. So when he shall come in that state, what will happen? His good deeds shall be taken off him. And they shall be given to those whom he has wronged, to his victims. This is why we say, why should we give anyone our deeds? Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi alayhi, he once heard that someone was backbiting him. So he sent him a gift. And he said, I thank you. And this is my expression of gratitude for giving me a gift of your good deeds. So why should we give anyone our good deeds? And this is what will happen on the Day of Judgment. So in, in that context, Sufyan ibn Uyayna says, when he was asked, what's the meaning of the hadith where Allah says, every deed of man belongs to him or is for him, except fasting. For fasting is for me and I shall reward it. 
So his explanation was that on the day of reckoning, when, pe- when the wronged victims of a person shall be rewarded and compensated from this person's deeds, Allah will take his salah, and Allah will take part of his zakah, and Allah will take part of his other good deeds and give them to others, to the victims of his wrongdoing. Allah will give his victims of every one of his good deeds, except fasting. For when it comes to fasting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't take any part of his fast and give it to someone else. Rather, Allah will himself personally assume responsibility of compensating the others for their being wronged. But not from this person's fast. Allah will keep his fast intact and whole. And then Allah will reward him and others personally for all their fasts. The reward of other deeds may be given to the angels, but the reward of fasting will be personally distributed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many other explanations as well for this, but I'll suffice with this. I'll continue with the rest of the hadith after salah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Continuing with the hadith that we were discussing before salah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Allah said, every deed of man is for him. Accept fasting, for it is for me, and I shall reward it. I've already explained the meaning of that. Prophet ﷺ then continues to say, وَالصِّيَامُ جُنَّةِ And fasting is a shield. These two words explain a lot about fasting. Fasting is a shield. Let me connect it to the verse of the Qur'an. A few, verse, a few weeks ago we were discussing the very first verse about fasting in the Qur'an. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ O believers, fasting has been ordained for you as it was ordained for those who came before you. Why? لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. And I explained about taqwa, that taqwa in Arabic... If it's used as a verbal noun, it means to guard. And if it's used as a noun, an is, it means a guard. So fasting creates taqwa. And taqwa is, if you use it as a noun, it means a guard. Or as a verbal noun, it means to guard. So a shield can actually be called a guard, taqwa in Arabic, taqwa is anything which can be used as a guard, a shield, a protective cover. That's, you can call that taqwa. So, this is quite unique. The Quran says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa in that fasting creates taqwa. And Rasulullah says, Fasting itself is taqwa, i.e. a shield. And the way the shield works is, fasting is a shield. And in one hadith he says it beautifully. In another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Fasting is a shield, malam yakhriq. As long as he doesn't violate it. As long as he doesn't rip it. So by weakening the fast or damaging the fast, 
The shield is weakened. If the shield is weakened, he won't protect the person. So the fast itself will become corrupt. So the idea is that if the fast is kept properly, it's observed properly, then it acts as a shield, a protective cover around the person. A guard. A taqwa which creates more taqwa. But how can this taqwa create any taqwa if itself becomes damaged? And if its defenses are penetrated? So the Prophet ﷺ says here, وَالصِّيَامُ jinnah And fasting is a shield. How can it act as a shield? We don't really understand the inner workings of this. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that fasting creates taqwa. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has told us that fasting itself is taqwa, a shield. And as long as a person keeps that shield intact, it will create even more taqwa in a person. Fasting purifies a person's mind and body. In fact, in one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually says, Sumu tasihru. Fast, you shall become healthy. And this is a reference to physical health. So fasting purifies a person's body, makes it healthy, physically healthy. And as I mentioned before, until recently, those who were very hostile, and still remain hostile, but those who are, were extremely disrespectful, they would even say of fasting that what good is there in, in remaining hungry and thirsty and starving yourself for a whole day? What benefit is there? What good is there? What's the use? And yet now, there are many different studies which show the beneficial impact, the highly beneficial effects of Fasting for prolonged periods. Some of them suggest two days consecutively. Others suggest one day of fasting followed by three days of eating by another followed by a day of fasting. Others suggest prolonged periods of fasting. But all of them say, none of them actually say these are damaging to the body. All of them say, they have good, healthy benefits. Of course, this must be understood in context. A person must be healthy, physically healthy enough and capable enough to actually fast. Otherwise, one should not endanger one's health. And Allah himself says that twice in, the, in these few verses, where he says that whoever is ill, then you make, you make up the count of the days on another occasion. So Allah has granted a concession. But if someone is healthy enough to fast, then again it can create even more health. It is very beneficial. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Fast, you shall be healthy. But as I was saying, fasting not only purifies the body, it purifies the mind. It cleanses the mind. And most importantly, we may not understand its inner workings, but it cleanses and purifies the heart and the soul. And in such a way that it raises it from that lowly state of animal behavior and revitalizes the ruh, the spirit. And the spirit gains life. 
the soul finds life. And with that, there is an increased awareness and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the shield will protect a person from the disobedience of Allah. And creates even more power and even greater taqwa. One of the ways in which the shield protects a person is if it's done consciously. If someone just has sahur and then meanders for the rest of the day, wanders aimlessly, i.e. in their deeds, and come iftar and maghrib time, they just have their iftar and that's it, then they are being neglectful. But if someone is conscious of their fast and reminds oneself that I am fasting, this can actually help a person avoid sinning. Because fasting isn't just about remaining hungry or thirsty. Fasting is the fast of the mind, the heart, the spirit, the soul, the th- one's thoughts. So you don't just avoid haram food. And all food is haram during the fast. You also avoid haram sights. Haram sounds, haram thoughts, haram feelings, haram emotions. And this creates such discipline as long as one is conscious. And how can one remain conscious? Always remind oneself that I am fasting for the sake of Allah. If one has an evil thought, one can banish it with the reminder that I am in a state of fasting. If one's gaze wanders, one can avert one's gaze, control oneself and rem- by reminding oneself that I am fasting. And this is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ says next. He says, وَإِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ أَحَدِكُمْ And when it is a day of fasting for any one of you, فَلَا يَرْفُثْ وَلَا And he should not speak lewdly, nor should he raise his voice. Again, the synchrony is remarkable between the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the words of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Hajju ashurun ma'lumat, faman farada feehinna al-Hajj, fala rafatha wala fasuqa wala jidala fi al-Hajj. Hajj is in a period of known months. So whoever makes the hajj obligatory upon himself in these months, how? By entering into the state of ihram. فَلَا رَفَثْ Because ihram is a state, not two items of clothing. So when one consecrates oneself into the state of ihram, during the hajj or during the umrah, normal lawful things become forbidden. Fragrance, trimming one's nails, clipping one's uh, trimming one's na- hair, clipping one's nails—all of these things become forbidden, even though they are normal, normally halal. And sins remain sins anyway. So it's a state. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala reminds us that when one enters this state of ihram, Allah mentions three things that everyone must avoid. He says, "Fala rafath." Let there be no indecency, no lewdness. Wala fusuq, and let there be no sin. Wala jidal, and let there be no quarreling fil hajj in hajj. Then Allah continues. 
So it's remarkable. Speaking about the state of fasting, which is a sacred state, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, even though halal things become forbidden, and therefore the haram things remain haram anyway, but of all the haram things, of all the sins, Allah mentions only these three. One, let there be no lewdness, indecent talk, offensive talk. Number two, fusuq, which is actually a generalization of sinning anyway. And number three, wala jidan, let there be no quarreling. Remarkably, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says the same about the sacred state of fasting. Fasting is a sacred state. And that's how we can remind ourselves. That we are in a sacred state. So when one of you is fasting, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, just as Allah says about ihram, the first thing is, فَلَا رَفَثْ Let there be no رَفَثْ Here he says, فَلَا يَرْفُثْ Let him not do رَفَثْ So what is رَفَثْ? رَفَثْ means indecent talk. It means indecency. Primarily of word. A believer. Now, indecency is haram anyway, regardless of whether one is fasting or not, regardless of whether one is in ihram or not. But it's a reminder by Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam that one should not be lewd, offensive, or indecent. Why mention rafath in particular? Because, and in fact, out of all the sins. Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned Rafath before anything else. Before anything else. Rafath means lewd, indecent speech. Now, before we continue further, let us remind ourselves how easily we slip into that mode. Even when we are not angry. The slightest upsetting thing, the slightest mishap, the smallest disappointment, and we swear. We use offensive words. Sometimes we say sugar. So if something happens, we say sugar. Some people say sugar. And you, you must have heard that, no? Yeah. Why do people say sugar? In reality, it's the mind's quick replacement of something else which begins with the same phonetic letters. So instead of saying the mind quickly to try and be decent, switches it rapidly to sugar. What's sugar got to do with it? Something happens, someone drops a, a bottle or a glass of sugar. So sugar is actually a euphemistic replacement of another more offensive, uh, another offensive word. But that reflects our proclivity, our habit of uttering offensive words and making indecent remarks about even the blandest of things. When it's raining... That's a rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, rain, see rain. Allahumma sayyib al-nafi'ah. 
Oh Allah, let it be a beneficial pouring. People would joyfully receive rain. Now, when we speak of rain, even about the weather, we can't just say it's cold, or it's hot, or it's raining. For something as normal as this, what do we say? It's expletive, hot. It's expletive, cold. It's expletive, raining. In fact, that becomes too long-winded, it's expletive, raining. We just remove the expletive and make the raining an expletive in itself. So, a synonym of urinating. So, it's... Damn. So, even about the weather, we have to speak rudely, lewdly, offensively. If it's hot, it's expletive hot. Cold, it's expletive cold. It's expletive raining. In fact, just to do away with the expletive, it's... The rain itself becomes an expletive. All for no reason. We have an inclination to this. And it's a venting of our frustration, our disappointment and our anger. In fact, not even our anger. We're not even angry. We're just calmly commenting on the weather. And the neighbor meets neighbor over the fence. Oh, how are you? Look at the weather. It's... It's expletive this, it's expletive that. Fine. Enjoy the rest of your day. So, so casually we swear. And one description of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was, لم يكن فاحشا ولا متفاحشا. He was neither rude and vulgar in speech, nor could he affect vulgarity. Meaning, sometimes people are vulgar and rude and lewd for the sake of it. As I said, it's just become a habit. Even speaking about the weather, this, something normal and common. Sometimes, there is no need for people merely to fit in. So when you've got a group of friends who are together, especially teenagers, there's no need to swear. Everyone wants to sound the baddest and the harshest, with the worst language, the worst swear words, the most expletives, spluttering expletives. And this is merely to impress. So the strange thing is, they aren't normally like that. But to be in with the gang, to be in with the group, to sound like part of the group, Each is trying to outdo the other, and all of them are competing in vulgarity. In fact, they don't normally, they do swear, but not as much as this. So they have to put it on. The Prophet ﷺ was so pure, it said of him, neither was he vulgar, nor could he be vulgar even if he wanted to. وَلَا مُتَفَحِشَ He could not affect vulgarity. He could not affect rudeness in speech. Pure of heart, pure of speech. And there's a saying in Arabic that the tongue is ultimately or is merely a funnel for what's in the heart. I.e. the tongue will only spit out what's contained in the heart. 
The tongue will only spout what's actually in the heart. So sometimes we are able to mask it. But just as people involuntarily react at times when they are provoked or when they see or hear something shocking, then what's in the heart, if they can mask it normally, when they are taken out of their comfort zone and they suddenly, it's a sudden reaction, then the heart betrays itself. Or the tongue betrays the heart. So since vulgarity, rudeness, lewdness, offensive and indecent speech, become so normal at times, Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa warned us against it. And, as said, they both speak of this sin before anything else, in the state of ihram or in the state of fasting. Why? Most other sins require an effort. If somebody wants to commit haram, there's normally a lot of preparatory work. But when it comes to the sins of the tongue, and there are many obstacles, time, location, Opportunity. When it comes to the sins of the tongue, they are literally on the tip of our tongue. There's no effort. There's no obstacle, no restriction. We can do it in privacy as well. We sin with our tongues. So the Prophet ﷺ here warns, فَلَا يَرْفُثْ In a state of fasting, let him not say anything indecent. Let him not be rude or offensive or vulgar. Because that will just destroy the fast. And not just be, avoid being vulgar and rude. The second word is, وَلَا يَسْخَبْ And let him not shout. Let him not scream. During the fast, one shouldn't even raise one's voice. We shouldn't raise it anyway. Especially during the fast. Control yourself. Remind yourself. Do not raise your voice. And this is a perfect Indication to controlling one's anger. This is a time of working on ourselves. This is a time of discipline. If you want to go on an anger management course that actually works, and it's for free, Ramadan. Ramadan is quarantine. It's an anger management course. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, وَالصِّيَامُ نِصْفُ الصَّبْرِ And patience, sorry, fasting is half of patience. Fasting itself is half of patience. And it's a real discipline. Don't sin with your tongue. Don't swear. Don't say anything rude or offensive. And if you can manage that, then something even better and further. Don't even raise your voice. We should plan ahead and make an intention. Forget New Year's resolutions. Make resolutions for Ramadan. I will not get angry. I will not raise my voice. I will not argue. I will not say anything offensive. I will not be rude. And biggest challenge, I will not raise my voice. I will not get angry. And it's easy to get angry in Ramadan. A hungry man is an angry man. But that's if your fast is just hunger. 
If your fast is just hunger, you're going to be angry, irritable, irascible, easily provoked. But if your fast is a fast, then as Rasulullah says, that fast will be half of patience itself. Because you remind yourself that I am fasting for the sake of Allah. And if we can control our anger in Ramadan, in a state of hunger, then imagine how self-developed and self-improved we will become after Ramadan when we have normal sleeping patterns, normal eating patterns. Don't you think that we will have improved as far as anger management is concerned? And we are all in need of anger management. We're all angry to some degree. Imam Shafi'i rahmatullahi says, Man istughdib falam yaghdab fahuwa himar that whoever is provoked and doesn't become angry, then he's a donkey. Meaning, anger is part of human nature. And nowhere do you find, in the Quran and the the Hadith, instructions to eradicate anger. Anger is part of humans as much as blood is. You have blood flowing through you, you've got anger raging through you. What the Qur'an and Hadith tell us is not to eradicate anger, but to control it and to manage it. We all feel upset. We all feel annoyed. We all feel angry. We're all disappointed. That's human nature. We're angry because we can't find work. When we get work, we're angry because of the work. So you can, you can never satisfy humans. So anger is part and parcel of human nature. What the Qur'an and the Hadith tell us is not to eradicate it, which is an unrealistic prospect, but it's to control it, it's to manage it. So we, the, what Imam Shafi'i rahmatullahi was saying isn't that we should just become angry all the time, but... It's human nature. If a person is provoked, their natural reaction is going to be angry, to become angry. But what Islam teaches is to manage it. And the Prophet ﷺ himself divided people into four categories when it came to anger. One, someone who becomes angry quickly and their anger subsides slowly. They are the worst. Then someone who's, who becomes angry rather belatedly, slowly, but their anger also subsides slowly. Third person, someone who becomes angry quickly, but their anger also subsides quickly. And the fourth person, someone who becomes angry very belatedly, it takes a lot to provoke them, but they are also the quickest to calm down, they, their anger subsides Quickly. They are the best of these people. So it's human nature to become angry. But we should control ourselves. And that means we should control anger, not just within, but expression. Also, this idea that, oh, I shouldn't shout, I shouldn't scream, but I should rage within, that is dangerous too. That is volcanic. 
There's no point. When we become angry, we release a frustration. And we target someone else. We target it at someone else. If we don't express our anger at others, then unfortunately we rage within. It's inner anger. And we actually vent that anger on ourselves. That is deeply damaging to one's psyche, one's mind, one's soul and spirit. It makes, what our, it makes us very bitter. And unfortunately it's volcanic. One day it will erupt. And destroy everything in its way. So the best thing is to try and control one's anger, overcome one's disappointment. Rida bil qada, being content with the decree of Allah. That goes a long way. You just let go, let go. No point holding on to something. It takes a lot of energy to be angry. It takes a lot. And if you just let go, then it's gone. And you can let it go. You can actually train yourself, even if someone insults you, you can train yourself to let that insult pass through. Emotional judo. Judo, the, the martial arts technique and sport, Part of the philosophy of judo is that you use your opponent's energy against them, not your own. So if they come at you using the full force of their body and their energy, and they're gaining, they're gathering momentum, they come charging at you, all you do is you step aside calmly and maybe stick out a leg. But, uh, or you step, you step aside calmly one of the grappling techniques is that you take their arm as they come at you and you help them along. So they come at you, you're standing there. What you do is that you quickly turn aside and you actually grab their arm and propel them along the path that they have chosen. So part of the philosophy of judo is to use your opponent's energy against them. So emotional judo is... Let them vent their anger and frustration and their hatred and their vitriol. And all you do is let it pass through. Why let it bounce off you? Why become engaged? Why sink to their level? Smile and it'll only enrage them more. <laughs> as long as you don't invite any further damage to yourself. But you can actually learn to control your inner anger. But the best anger management course is Ramadan. Let him not raise his voice. Learn to control one's voice as well. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, continues, فَإِن سَابَّهُ أَحَدٌ أَوْ If he himself behaves so that he doesn't become angry, he doesn't raise his voice, he doesn't say anything rude, lewd or indecent and offensive, but someone else comes and spoils his day, or tries to spoil his day by someone else comes to him for ahad. Someone abuses him, swears at him, verbally abuses him. Or qatar, or actually quarrels with him. Obviously, initially, verbally. And what should he say? What should he do? 
he should say, I am a fasting person. Now, we, when we hear this, we think of it as meaning that we should remind the other person that I am fasting. Now, look, I'm fasting. And one narration, it said, Marratain. He should say, I am fasting, I am fasting. But in reality, the meaning of the hadith isn't just that we should tell the other person. It's a reminder to the other person and to ourselves. This is why amongst the ulama of hadith and fiqh, there's actually a discussion as to whether these words that are فَلْيَقُلْ إِنِّي مُرُؤُمْ صَائِمْ He should say, I am fasting, whether they should be said loudly or in the heart. And many ulama are of the opinion from the commentators of hadith that these words should only be said in the heart. So what does that mean? It's not directed at anyone else. It's directed more at oneself. Because anger is such a thing, Allahu Akbar, that sometimes any attempt to douse the fire, to extinguish it, only results in its further eruption. And that's, that actually happened with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because when a person becomes angry, shaitan gets hold of you. A man was angry. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw him and he said to his companions, I know something which if he was to say it, it would extinguish his anger. Then the Prophet ﷺ told them, what should he say? أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. So one of the companions went over to the person and said to him, seek refuge in Allah from the accursed devil. Say أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. So the man became even more angry and said, do you think I'm a shaitan? That's what anger does. It clouds a person's thinking. So sometimes if you were to say to the other person, and one has to be careful about how they're saying it, one can, it's not, some ulama say it should be said loudly, but a good number of ulama say it should be said in one's heart. All I'm trying to say is that this message, although it can be delivered to the other person in a good way, i.e. in a humble way to remind, look, I am fasting. So maybe they might stop and think that, astaghfirullah. I shouldn't be getting angry anyway. I shouldn't be abusing you anyway. But since you are fasting, this makes it worse. Jazakumullahu khairah for reminding me. And I desist and I seek your forgiveness. Now, that, that's normally good people who make a mistake. But <clears throat> lots of people, unfortunately, if you tell them I am fasting, it doesn't make any difference to them. And if you say it in a certain way, it can only exacerbate the problem. And I'm serious. Some people think that the meaning of this hadith is that... And I've, I've actually... Although I haven't witnessed this directly, I've heard of it and I've dealt with cases where the person reminding the other person, in fact I have heard of it, uh, in the masjid, if I wasn't fasting, I'd do this to you, I'd do that to you. So it's, it's more like saying, don't, don't bother me, I'm fasting. But it's said in such a tone as to suggest that if I wasn't fasting, 
then there would be fireworks. So that just provokes the other person. It just exacerbates a problem. But like I said, many ulama of the opinion that one shouldn't even say it loudly, it should be said in the heart. So if it's said in the heart, who is it being addressed to? More the individual. Let them carry on the way they are. Walk away. Remind oneself. And in one narration, even if it means saying it twice, I am fasting. I am fasting. That's a constant reminder to discipline oneself. And to avoid quarreling. To avoid arguing. And just as he mentions, the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa mentions, avoiding quarreling, Allah mentions that in the state of Hajj as well. فَلَا رَفَثْ let there be no lewdness, wala fusuq, or any sinning, wala jidala fil hajj, nor any quarreling in hajj. And the Prophet ﷺ says the same. Do not be lewd, do not raise your voice, do not quarrel. And if someone quarrels with you, remind yourself. Even if they actually attempt to fight with you, remind yourself that you are fasting. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, وَالَّذِينَ سُمْحَمِّدٍ بِيَدِهِ By that Allah, in whose hands rests the soul of Muhammad, لَخُلُوفَ فَمِسْصَائِمٍ The emanate, the odor emanating from the mouth of a fasting person, أَطْلِبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِيحِ الْمِسْقِ is sweeter by Allah than the fragrance of musk. And proper musk. True fragrances, of the world, of the dunya. Not the artificial stuff. But true fragrances are such that they permeate the whole atmosphere and surrounding air. And they linger for a very long time. I have used certain fragrances, the traditional ones, which wallahi, I applied once and others were able to smell that small dab of fragrance applied once to the cloth three days later with the same intensity and potency. And in fact, I've I've applied fragrances, the traditional ones, which even after washing, after wearing, washing, a week later after washing, the fragrance is still there. These are the traditional ones. So even the best musk of the dunya, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, sweeter than the fragrance of musk by Allah. And that's the odor of a fasting person. That's such that it's human nature. Even if one spouse, even if one senses that smell from the mouth of a fasting spouse, it's human nature, we are unable to tolerate it. In fact, even from one's children. If such an odor was to emanate from one's, a mother's baby, even the mother would not be able to tolerate that odor. And they don't. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, because that is a result of fasting, it's so beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's sweeter by Allah than even the fragrance of musk. Because it's a result of fasting. Then the Prophet sallallahu says at the end of hadith, farhatan, for the fasting person there are two moments of joy. 
when he breaks his fast. He is joyful at his breakfast. And this is a reference to both iftars. The small iftar of every day at Maghrib. And the great iftar of the day of Eid. But even greater than the joy of breaking one's fast, even greater than the joy of Eid, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, his second and greater moment of joy is, وَإِذَا لَقِيَ رَبَّهُ فَرِحَ بِصَوْمِهِ That when he shall meet his Lord, he shall be overjoyed at his fast. When he shall see and witness the reward and the honor that is accorded to him because he or she fasted in this dunya, that person would have, will wish that they would have fasted every single day of their life. That they would have remained in a constant state of fasting. That is how beloved fasting is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have a perfect opportunity coming up in the month of Ramadan. Not only to fast, we are all going to do that anyway. But to make the fast a quality fast. Such a fast that we will be rewarded by Allah. We will be honored. And most importantly, a fast that actually creates taqwa in us. And that makes us a better person. Not just a better religious person, but a better human being. Someone whose speech is refined, whose mind is refined, whose heart is refined, whose character is refined, someone whose behavior is refined. Free self-development, free anger management, free self-improvement, free greater awareness and self-consciousness, all wrapped up in one package of fasting. All we have to do is be a bit more mindful, pay a bit more attention, and be conscious of the fast throughout the day. And not just treat it as a period of remaining hungry and thirsty. It's a test. It's testing. It's not easy. But it can be done. And once a person is conscious of their fast, inshallah, it will get easier and easier. So, let us make an intention and resolve, not just to remain hungry and thirsty, but to make it a fast for every part of our body, every limb and every part of our mind and heart. And inshallah, if we do that, fasting will be such a shield that it will create even a stronger shield, give us momentum of taqwa and make us one of those of whom Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. I end with this. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ نَشْهَدُ وَاللَّهِ إِلَىٰ إِلَىٰ أَنْتَ نَسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَنَتُوبُ